Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter 32, St. Charles chapter 32, I apologize for not being out here when all this started, technology wasn't working with me, just kind of, just kind of sums up the day, started off my day this morning, early this morning, up with the kids, just first thing I went to do is just to go blow my nose, and when I did, I blew out my middle back, I'm serious, if they had asked me at that moment in time when that second happened, what my pain was on a scale from 1 to 10, I told them 10 in that second of when it took place. And so then I made an appointment with a chiropractor, and so I interrupted my day. I go there, and they punched around on me, and so on and so forth, and came back home, and blah, blah, blah. So I knew if you blow out your back, blowing your nose, it's just going to be one of those days. <laughs> it's going to be one. I mean, it's not, not even the place I normally have back problems, in a whole new area. So you know it's just going to be one of those days when it happens. So here we are. But we're in the house of the Lord. And I'm grateful to the Lord today. Second Chronicles chapter 32. I'm going to read the first eight verses. And then I'm going to pick up one verse. Verse number 20. And uh, we'll see what we can do here today. I'm not like getting into a series or anything. Because next week then we'll be gone again. And then come back and there'll be one week with me. And then it'll be with Sister McGee. So I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt to try to. If that happens, then it just happens. But I'm not trying to get into a series. Second Chronicles 32, verse number 1 through 8. Media, just work with me. I know you don't have anything, you know, but I have faith and confidence in you. Amen. Verse number 1. And after these things, the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and camped against the fenced cities thought to win them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together, who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without. Repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Verse number 20. And for this cause, Hezekiah, the king, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, prayed and cried to heaven. Tonight, I want to teach. My title is 
may be peculiar. It goes against maybe what we think, but just hear me out. I want to teach last resort prayer. Last resort prayer. We will come to find out that in chapter 32, whenever Hezekiah learns that his enemy, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is going to come against him, fight, set his face, if you will, against Jerusalem, there's a whole lot of other things that he does until verse 20 comes where it says that he prayed. There's a lot of other things. So I want to talk about last resort prayer. Amen tonight. Let's pray. Lord will help us. I'll try to be mindful of your time and the weather in the name of Jesus. Father, help us tonight. God, we're grateful today, Lord, and to you. I pray, Jesus, that you would anoint us, Lord, in this place, God, for both the hearing and the teaching, God, of the word of the Lord this evening. I pray, O oh Lord, that you're able to, God, impart something through your word. God, bring, Lord, an awareness, God, to the scripture and the verses here, God, of what we're trying to convey. Lord, through the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, Lord, we'll not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. To the church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. In reality, this kind of goes against everything that we have we've been taught goes against everything that that we have known you know we've all times got up and quipped uh the little phraseology about you know don't be using prayer as a last resort you know yet i know still a lot of times we do that uh but we think we can handle everything on our own but don't lose prayer as a last resort yet in this story of hezekiah and hezekiah is one of those kings that he's one of the good guys you know he's not like somebody that's doing all of these uh, antics and acts that are against the Lord. He's, he's one of the good guys. He's following in the ways of the Lord. He has uh, corrected a lot of things that his predecessor had done incorrectly concerning the things of God. So he's, he's one of the good guys, one of those that have uh, been attributed as being faithful unto the Lord. And yet in this story, we see that he uh, comes to prayer as it would seem just a cursory reading. He comes to prayer as a last resort. As a last resort, and so that almost kind of prompts us and pricks us a little bit. Hey, what's going on here? One of the good guys here using prayer as a as a last resort. Well, at first, whenever we look at this passage of scripture, again, we could be taken back a little bit because Hezekiah's uh, response, or rather, maybe even lack of response to the threat of Sennacherib of the king of Assyria to the the imminent danger that he and Jerusalem are finding themselves in. And the reason why that we might think that his priorities are a little bit off kilter here, using prayers so late in this chapter, is because Sennacherib is a notable enemy. This is nothing to sneeze at, so to speak. He's a notable inter- enemy. As a matter of fact, if you look at the record of the successes of Sennacherib, Uh, against other nations Uh, it almost proves to be virtually flawless he has a good record if you will Uh, he's been winning all season okay Uh, he's rated pretty high in the stats and so when we look at that we see that he's already subdued uh, one called Phoenicia he subdued the the country of Philistia he's defeated a certain group or a party or a force that's from Egypt 
and he has captured Samaria, which was the capital city of Israel. This is during the time in which Israel's divided between the ten tribes and the two tribes, the northern tribes and the south tribe. He's already defeated and overcome Samaria, that capital city of Israel. He's carried those ten tribes already away into captivity. And so now he has turned his attention on Judah. He's turned his attention on that southern tribe, and he's already of them. He's already captured 46 of their fortified cities, cities that have walls and fortification around them. He's already taken 46 of them out. So, you know, he could actually put a hole in his belt and pull it a little tighter because he's all that and a side of fries. He is a notable enemy. As a matter of fact, Sennacherib and his men even reiterate uh, unto Hezekiah and Jerusalem at this time in verse 15 you can read of it in 2 Chronicles 32 he says for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of mine hand and out of the hand of my fathers how much less shall your God deliver you out of mine hand and so no doubt he says this with a bit of arrogance but he's also wanting to strike fear into the hearts of Judah He's wanting to trouble them with his words and with his, his uh, history, if you will, of success. And perhaps to a certain degree, maybe he accomplished that. Maybe, I don't know, we don't have a real reading of that in Scripture, but perhaps he did put a little fear in their heart, a little dismay. But nevertheless, if he did, he only accomplished that a little bit because the Bible says, and we read it in our Scripture reading, verse number 8, that these people of Jerusalem and Hezekiah, they had already rested themselves. It's neat how the Bible says this. They rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah. So they may not be too shaken at this moment in time because they have already depended and rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah. What Hezekiah had told them was this. He told them exactly what the adversary wanted to happen. He told them, though, he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. He said, don't be dismayed because of them. He, he, he's bolstering their faith and their belief. He tells them that there's more that be with us than there are with them. So he's trying to strengthen them. He's telling them that Assyria is depending upon the arm of flesh. They're depending upon the arm of humanity. He says, but God... Not a God, but the God. God is with us. And note how Hezekiah says this, and this is important, I think, for our study here this evening. He says, with us is the Lord our God to help. Everyone say help. To help us and to fight our battles. I believe that one little phrase is somewhat pregnant with some meaning that I hope to extrapolate here tonight. And that is, that the Lord our God is with us to help us conveys to me that it goes beyond the knowledge that God, as he said, will fight your battle, but it delves into our understanding that God is going to help them. To help, this is very generic, all right, but to help someone is to aid them or assist them or come alongside them while they are striving and making attempts to accomplish something, someone helps or aids them in accomplishing what they already put an effort toward in accomplishing. Uh, help is not somebody necessarily doing it for you, but somebody aiding you and accomplish what you've already strived to accomplish. 
You understand what I'm saying? And so the people could rest in these words that the Lord was going to fight for them or the Lord was going to help or aid and assist them primarily, and here's the reason why, primarily because they had known at this segment, at this place in the scripture, they know that they have already done and taken every measure that they could take to do what they could do to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish. So they know now that the Lord can help them because they've already attempted and strived to do everything that they could do. And now the aid and the assistance of the Lord is going to come. Because look, if you will, what they attempted and strived to do whenever they heard that this enemy, Sennacherib, was going to try to take over Jerusalem and uh, bring them down to her knees, if you will, as he had every other nation that he went out after. Look how Hezekiah and these people of Jerusalem, look how they responded. This was their course of action. Now, some of us, course of action would have been this. And, and, that's, and this goes with our teaching, you know. You don't wait till the last resort to use prayer. We just said, God, take care of it all. Right? Take care of it, God. Intervene. Do something, Lord. But here's what I'm trying to get at tonight, talking about prayer, last resort prayer, is that there are some times that we are going to God with things concerning prayer, Him wanting Him to intervene and do when they are things that we can do before we ever try to start employing the hand of God in the matter. His help, aid, and assisting is to come alongside something we're already striving for. I, I know this is really going to maybe mess up a mindset tonight, but sometimes we go to prayer prematurely. Now that I know went over like a flock of dogs. But we go to prayer prematurely. Amen. You know, God coming in sometimes and doing what God does. God normally does the things that we can't do. Yeah, and so sometimes we want to employ God to do the things that we can do and the things we can't do. And so look at the things. So look how Hezekiah then responded. You can look at this through the verses of Scripture. You'll pick them out. His number one response was this. The Bible says he went out. He knew, that, he knew the enemy's coming. He went out and he stopped all the waterways outside the city. This is his list. Number two, he went. And who repaired all the broken walls that were around about the city. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he made it up to the height of the towers. The towers were normally higher than the walls. So he repaired the walls, but then he didn't just stop it and leave them where they were before. But he built them further up to the height of the towers. The Bible says in addition to that, he even built an additional wall. All right. Then the Bible says he repaired Milo, which was another wall, a certain one that was named on the north side of Jerusalem. So he does all that. He gets all this wall repair, extra building up, cuts off the waterways outside of Jerusalem. And then the Bible says that he made darts and shields in abundance. All right. Then it says that he set captains over the people. All right. And then we hear his words like uh, we've already went over. He encouraged the people be strong, be courageous. God's God's, you know, here with us. And and uh, they have an arm of flesh, but we have God that we are dependent upon. And then. All right. That stops there around verse eight. And then we have 12 verses later. Hearing me 12 verses later, we read that Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah Prayed. 
and cried unto heaven. They know the enemy's going to attack. But verse 20 isn't verse number 2. Is everybody okay? They prayed around verse number 2. 20. So let's let's consider here tonight some things. So 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 what what Hezekiah is here he uses prayer for my all purposes tonight. Last resort prayer for for Hezekiah is this is you go to prayer you prioritize prayer in such a way where you take responsibility over what you can have control over. And then you go to God in prayer. All right? Consider this. Look what he did first. Let's go back through this. Try to be mindful here. Man, we're only 60 minutes in. Well, glory. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Number one, he eliminated any of the waterways. There were fountains and there were brooks outside of the city. Amen. Outside of Jerusalem. And so he went out there to eliminate any of the waterways. Why? Because whenever the adversary is coming and they're going to they're going to try to besiege the city, which means they're going to sit outside those walls, try to starve them out, uh, thirst them out, you know, outside the city. When the enemy is outside the city there, he did not want there to be any waterways or fountains, any place that the enemy could take care of his own thirst. So let's get real practical. You want to get practical? Let's get real practical. Here's the first thing that Hezekiah did. He removed anything that may benefit or sustain his enemy. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't go to prayer. Oh, the enemy's approaching. He's going to attack. God, take care of this. No. He says, I'm going to take responsibility for the things that could be helping sustain. That could be helping sustain or benefit my enemy. There are things in our lives, the enemy's attacking. There are things in our lives that we help him in his attack because they are in our life. And we benefit and help sustain his, his, his uh, ability to stay, his ability to keep up doing what he's doing just because of simple things that we allow in our lives. Hezekiah says, I'm not going to quench his thirst, amen, while he's attacking me. I'm going to cut off anything and remove anything that may be beneficial to him than may be sustaining the enemy. Folks, prayer is powerful. I'm not going to, I'm not going to negate that. Prayer is powerful and prayer is important. But prayer was never intended to do or accomplish what we could do or accomplish ourselves. Secondly, look what he did. He repaired any of the breaches. Again, not talking about these type of breaches. He repaired, although that might not be a bad idea, but he repaired any of the breaches that were in the walls of Jerusalem. Now, breaches in the walls, first of all, where they come from? Well, first of all, they may have been due maybe to neglect or carelessness in his father's reign, Ahaz. Ahaz reigned before him. He was the bad king. He was one of the bad boys, all right? So they might be just something that Hezekiah inherited due to neglect or carelessness. But it also may have been, listen well, a decay in a wall just may have been just from natural process of a wall over time decaying if it's not given any maintenance. Someone just say amen. And whenever you have no walls, walls in that day, for protection, you have no walls, you make the city of Jerusalem, or breaches in the walls, you make the city of Jerusalem vulnerable. And so while Hezekiah is thinking about Jerusalem and thinking about her protection, 
He says, I'm going to repair the breaches. I'm going to take the vulnerabilities, if you will, away from Jerusalem. But for that matter, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to build that wall back up where it's broken down where it was. I'm going to let it go to the heights of the towers. I'm going to make it even taller. And you know what? Man, he just got in the wall building business, you know. Get a truck and some brick. We're in this thing. I think I'll just add another wall. You know, we'll go out a few feet and we'll just put another wall out there. And he added another wall. We'll say, all right. Walls are important. We got to do what we have control of now. Now, why, why would a wall be important? I just want to hit you with a few things here tonight. Not literally. Amen. Just a few things. Amen. Isaiah 62 and 6. One of the reasons why it's important. Amen. For us to have control over those walls of protection that are around about our lives. This is what Isaiah said. He said, I have set watchmen. Where? Upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. Which shall never hold their peace, nor day, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. The watchmen were placed upon the walls because it was from the vantage point of the walls that the watchman had a better point of view, a better point of reference, that he could see out in the distance of any approaching danger, of any approaching foe, amen, and be able to warn the people ahead of time to prepare themselves because of the height of the wall gave him the vantage point. But if you don't have a wall around your city, your watchmen are standing on the ground. You don't have no wall around your city, your watchmen are standing on the ground. And so they can only see the distance of the horizon. Somebody hearing me? So it's important to have our walls of protection because they give us a vantage point. They give us a vantage point that we might not otherwise have without the walls. Walls were the first line of defense against any enemy. First line of defense. And so without a wall... For the city, and speaking for us tonight, we're comparing this to our lives. Without a wall, we are easy prey. Look what the scripture says in Ezekiel 38 and verse number 10. It says, thus saith the Lord, and I'm going to verse 12, brother. Ezekiel 38, 10 through 12. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind. Thou shalt think of an evil thought. Now look, here it's going to, he's going to describe what this evil thought is. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land, note it, of unwalled villages. And I will go to them that are at rest and that dwell safely. That word safely actually means those that dwell confidently. So they're feeling pretty good about their situation. All of them dwelling, here it is again, without walls. And having neither bars nor gates. Look, verse 12, for what purpose? To take a spoil and to take a prey. To turn thy hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. He says, you had a, he said, there's an evil thought coming to you. He says, you're thinking about unwalled, unprotected cities. Why? Because you can take spoil and you can take prey very easily. Without much opposition when you go to those that are unwalled or unprotected. Let me say this tonight. There are certain things in place in the church, hopefully in our lives, that are just that. They are walls that are for our protection. 
Let's consider this whenever Hezekiah decides I'm going to build an additional wall. You know what? Let's say that he's going to say, let's build it 12 feet thick. thick. Someone else says, no, let's just do it five foot thick. You know, they could probably have a committee and quibble over if they're going to do it five foot or 12 foot thick, couldn't they? Perhaps they could. Or perhaps whenever he talks about, you know, increasing the height of the wall that was already there. They could probably have a few arguments over, you know, increasing the height of the wall. Let's just keep it where it was. And all he says, let's go higher. I'm sure they all could discuss that. They could even argue over it. But they all had this. The primary understanding is this, is that the wall is there for our protection. With that being said, there are aspects of Christianity that may have nothing to do with the wall itself as much as it does with what the wall provides for our vulnerabilities. Uh Uh-huh. What I'm saying, Brother Zach, is this. It's not about the wall being 12 foot thick or 5 foot thick. It's the purpose that the wall is there for protection. It's not about whether it's at waist high or whether it's at tower height. It's for the purpose of protection, of being able, if you will, to sew up some of our vulnerabilities. Now, people, a lot of times, want to make it about the wall. Oh, someone say amen. Want to make it about the wall. Point to another city. You follow my analogy here. Point to another city and say, well, they don't have any walls. And nothing has ever happened to them. (laughs) They don't have any walls to the height of their towers. They have two-foot walls, and ours are ten-foot. They've never had anything happen to them. You know what, folks? That's fine and dandy. You probably can find maybe another place that's never had that happen to them. But let me tell you what Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem knew and that even God instilled in this. We're just not willing to take that risk. Because for every city that's never been attacked without walls, we could probably find 10 cities that had been attacked that didn't have any walls. We're just not simply, we, we believe more in what's on the inside of the city is valuable enough that we're going to take extra measures to protect what we have rather than flirt around with the possibility of losing what we've got. Hezekiah, they go to the Lord to pray about this. No, he says, this is something I can take care of. <laughs> He's not shooting out the gate on prayer. He said, no, I think we can, we can do something about this, this wall situation. The fact of the matter is this, folks. Everything, we consider walls, everything requires maintenance. Me and Bishop were just talking about the other day. I, I woke up Monday morning. This has just been me this week. I woke up Monday morning. Man, I started my car, and it was running and all that good thing. Sister McGee was working. She went on. And I was getting ready to take the kids to school. I get in the car. We all get in the car, start going down the road. And I'm like, this, this, something's not right. It's just, this is not right. Stop the car, get out. My back right tire is teetotally flat. Rim on the rim, flat. So I call her to come get the kids, and I deal with that that day. And then me and Bishop were talking about things. She said, you know what, if it's car, if it's house, whatever, as long as you have those things, as long as you have things, things always going to require some type of pampering, maintenance, dealing with, and likewise with your walls. Likewise with your walls. 
Sometimes you got to go around and just check the walls out. Because they have a tendency just to naturally decay. I'm not not trying to speak in symbols and substance, but I think you're picking up what I'm conveying here. They just naturally decay. And you don't want to be caught off guard when an enemy is approaching that you have some walls under decay. Thank goodness Hezekiah here had some time. Thirdly, I got to move on. Thirdly, so he did all this wall business. He did all this. He did all this uh, uh, other business that I already spoke of uh, here tonight concerning the waters. But then thirdly, the Bible says they made darts and shields. And I like this because it says it denotes in abundance. He makes darts and shields in abundance. Now, now here, here is wisdom, I believe, in, in, in the verse of Scripture. Darts, that's something, no doubt, that and we're not talking about, you know, bullseye dartboard darts. We're talking about the, you know, these things can do some harm to the bodily figure. He didn't just make darts. And he didn't just make shields. He made darts and shields in abundance. Because every battle's just not about fighting. Alone. It's also about defending. Oh, I know. I'm a little too elementary for y'all. If they've made darts alone, if that's all it was, if they made darts alone, it may have been on the premise that, you know what, I can, I can accomplish this fighting business. I can fight this enemy from a distance. I can throw these darts. We, we can get them slain if it was just darts alone. But what the shields indicated was this for Hezekiah. What the shield was indicating this is that he knew that his enemy was also a fighter. Mm -hmm. He's also a fighter. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why it's conveyed to us as Christians in Ephesians 6 that the Bible tells us after it's mentioning all the different armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, our loins girt about with truth, our feet shot the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, above all, take the shield of faith. Why? Because our defense is just as important and if at times not more important than our attack. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Whenever I read in Scripture, and I look back over these Scriptures today, whenever I read in Scripture of Saul in the Old Testament, how he died on the battlefield, Saul did not die on the battlefield because his attack was off. He didn't die on the battlefield because, quote unquote, his darts weren't meeting their target. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 1 and verse 22, 2 Samuel 1 and verse 22, whenever David is giving his lament over the deaths of both Saul and Jonathan, he says, from the blood of From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not 
back. In other words, Jonathan shot that bow. It met its mark. And the sword, look at it, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. What's that mean? Whenever Saul's sword had blood on it, he had taken lives. So his fight, his attack was good. It was spot on. He didn't die on the battlefield because he was lacking attack. He died. Listen to me. He died on the battlefield because the Bible tells us in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 31, he died because he was sore wounded of an archer. Mm -hmm. And the Bible seems to allude to in the same lamentation that David is given in 2 Samuel 1. David in his lamentation, the Bible seems to allude to that the possibility why Saul died on the, the, the battlefield wasn't because his attack wasn't pointing on, but because he had cast away his shield. Mm -hmm. His weapon of defense. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 1, and verse number 21, ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is vitally cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. So, Hezekiah said, we're going to make darts and shields in abundance because the battles we engage in with the, 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 the adversary isn't just about our fight. It's just as much as important about our defense, our defense. It ain't going you know, hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battles. Man, that's what I'm, whoo, glory, hallelujah. That's what I'm leaning on. Whoo, blessed Jesus. Let the Lord fight my battles. Uh-huh. If Hezekiah said they're going to help, the Lord's going to help you, then you got to be striving to accomplish something. You've oftentimes heard me, you know, Lord fighting your battles, not you sitting back in the tent at home and letting him go out on the battlefield. No, 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 no. Amen. We need both the attack and the defense. He says he made them in abundance. Look at this now. Look at this. So lastly, then he organizes the captains over his people. Over these warriors, he organizes captains over them, and then he gathers them together. He's going to comfort them. But this is important. He's going to comfort them. Be strong and courageous. Those are his words to them. I think it's important. This is important, I think, to denote in this listing of things that Hezekiah did not encourage the people about being strong, and he did not encourage them about being courageous until they had taken the measures of responsibility themselves. You hear me? He didn't start the gate to say be strong and courageous. No, 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 no. He allowed them to invest. He allowed them to do what the people could do. And then he tells them to be strong and be courageous because God would help them and fight for them. But that is really only after they had done everything that they had known to do. How many times do we see that the Lord shows up in those moments when we have done everything that we have known? God, I just don't know what else to do. That's what I like to hear, he says. I've done everything I know to do, God. Yeah, because God, here it is. God has the uncanny ability of starting where we can't finish. Starting 
where we can't finish. And so whenever the people heard the words of Hezekiah that God is going to help us, they knew with a surety we've already cut off the waterways, we've rebuilt the walls, made them even higher, added an additional wall, we've made the weapons, we've made the darts, we have the shields, we have all that in place, we got all this done. You know what they're going in their mind? We know we've done anything, so God surely is going to be able to come to our aid because we've done everything that we have known to do. That's the way that the Lord seems to operate. You know, whenever it's the Old Testament story of the woman that she's just about, you know, she, she, she's in debt to the creditors. They're going to come. They've already taken, you know, go take the sons and all this happening. And he's asking the lady, he says, Hun, do you have anything in the house? She says, I don't have anything save a pot of oil. What are the next words? He says, you go borrow vessels from your neighbor, neighbors and don't borrow a few. You go get as many as you can. It's not at that moment whenever you say, well, all I have is a pot of oil. He just started, you know, magically causing pots to appear and oil to float. No, she did what she could do. She and the boys went and gathered the pots. Huh? She and the boys went and gathered the pots. And then in the moment that the pouring started, the oil flowing and that vessel seemed to be an endless vessel. But she did what she could do. So what I'm trying to convey, I don't know if I'm doing a good job at it or not tonight, is we sometimes go to prayer prematurely. And we don't take ownership for what we can't have control over. Amen. Whenever, this, this is uh, peculiar peculiar but also somewhat intriguing whenever we go to exodus you can go there with me exodus chapter 14 so see it's after all of this stuff then verse 20 the bible finally says there in second chronicles 32 that hezekiah and isaiah prayed and the lord answered their prayer he came down and he smack daubed all those Sennacherib people and, and, and the Assyrians and he took care of business but he took care of business and could help and assist because they had been doing something look at this Exodus chapter 14 verse number 15 I'll try not to hold you here too much longer one more chapter over there McGee look, look at verse number 15 this is the story of the children of Israel coming to the Red Sea coming to the Red Sea They've escaped Egyptian bondage. They're coming over here to the Red Sea. There's mountains on either side of them. Pharaoh's army is marching, coming very fastly behind them. There's the cloud that's between them. You know, it's light unto them, but it's darkness unto them. And there is the Red Sea in front of them. Now, that's between a rock and a hard place. And so, this is what, uh, let me even start. Can I start verse 13? Can you back me up a verse? Start me in verse 13, will you? And Moses, thank you. And Moses said unto the people, now this is Moses. Fear ye not. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Now that's, that's great, isn't it? There's something I want you to though, understand here. Mo, Moses here was half right. Moses was half right. First of all, please note that we never see anywhere where God told Moses to say what he said. Okay? You don't see anywhere prior to this where God told Moses to say what he said. So he's saying, fear not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. 
Let's see how that. Look at verse number 14 then. The Lord shall fight for you. There it is. Glory, amen, hallelujah. The Lord's going to fight for me. The Lord's going to fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Now look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Now we, we don't have no, we have no record of the conversation. We have no record of whatever went on. But somehow or another, there was some type of cry out unto God from Moses. He says, look at what God says, Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Here's how the Message Bible says it. Whenever I read it this past year, it says it like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, quit praying and get the people moving. Ooh, fear not. Stand right here. You're going to see the glory of the Lord. God's going to fight for you. Yes, Lord. God never told Moses to say that. Moses got that in his own ability to say that. He was wrong on that part. He was right on the part. He won't, they weren't going to see the Egyptians anymore. But he was wrong on that part. You know what God was saying? He said, Moses, why are you crying out to me? He said, get these people moving forward. He says, let them do what they can do. Let them start walking. Let, he says, let me do what they can. But let them do what they can. I think sometimes God kind of looking at us and saying, I, 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 yeah, I hear prayer, I answer prayer, but why don't you do what you can do first? Can you build a wall? Can you cut off the things that are to the advantage of your adversary? Huh? Can, 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 can you somehow increase the abundance of your fighting and your defending? You understand what I'm saying tonight? And so the Bible says, he says, you know, why you cry to me, Moses, speak to the children of Israel, that they go forward. It's at that moment, then the, the, the hand goes over the water and the rod goes in the air. And, and these people are moving forward. And what happens? That east wind blows that have been blown through the night, dries up a path, and they walk across on dry land. But they could have sat there till kingdom come and watched the Red Sea and the current go back and forth. He'd go fight for us. You understand? He I'm going to fear not and hold my peace. And they can stay all day over there in darkness with the cloud between us and the mountains. Stay where they are, the Red Sea right there. But whew, I'm just waiting on a move of God. We've oftentimes said it. You know, oftentimes when we wait on a move of God, God's waiting on a move of humanity. Stay with me tonight and I'll close. So maybe two weeks now, I might pick back up on this and round this out because I think there's another aspect we can round out concerning this idea of prayer. Sometimes we get it as modern day, modern day Christianity has it, like prayer is this blab, blab it and grab it type of mentality. We lean heavy on all these verses, ask, you receive, seek, you shall find, knock the door, be open. I wouldn't mind maybe even looking at that maybe two weeks from now. Yes, Sister McGee. Sister Carpenter spoke this to us over a year ago in one of our ladies' sessions at conference. And her statement at the beginning of her story was, God will never do in the supernatural what we have the ability to do in the natural. 
and she relayed an own, her own experience. She says, I was dealing with a lot of issues in my body. And she goes, and I was going to God in prayer to heal me, to touch me, to help me. And she goes, I was in prayer one night at the altar at my church. And this is a very godly lady, expends herself for ministering for God. And God said, your healing is in your hands, is what God spoke to her. And she got up from that place, and she began to examine what God meant by that in her life. And she says, I wasn't getting enough rest. I was burning the candle at both ends. With our travels, I was not eating properly. I was not feeding myself good things. And she said, I started doing the things that I knew that I needed to do to take care of my own body through my health, through different things. And she goes, and then God stepped in, and now she's in a very good place with her health. But God told her specifically that the healing was in her hands because he needed her to do what she could do first. And so that through that, by her stepping out and doing the things she could do, then God came and helped her with the rest. And it, it can be as practical as that. It can be as practical as that. Amen this evening. Let's bow our heads tonight. Amen. We'll ask the Lord to help us. Father, we need you. I'm praying, God, that you would help us. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.